Well, today, this sermon is entitled, The Most Important Thing. That's a good thing to think about in life, because if, you, if you'll determine what's the most important thing, you can determine that you'll focus towards that, right? What's the priority? If you're doing sports, you're doing business, what are our priorities? What are you trying to achieve? That's what you build around, right? And everything points to that. And so today, we're going to look at what Jesus says is the most important thing. It's the story in Mark of the rich young ruler. And he has a problem. His problem is he loves money more than anything else. Did you know anything that you have in your life as a priority that displaces God as number one becomes your God? Anything that gets ahead of him and moves the focus of your life as the priority and puts him secondary, that's a God with a little g, no matter what it might be. And this guy's God was money. I read a story about a rich guy who was determined to take his money with him when he died. And he told his wife when he was sick, look, get all my money, tie it in a bag and put it in the rafters and when, when I die, my soul, I'll just grab it on the way up to heaven and take it with me. She thought it was kind of weird but she wanted to honor him, hospice there at the house and everything so she did it. And when he died, she ran up to the attic and there was the bag and she said, I knew it, I should have put that in the basement for him. Uh, <laughs> if you feel that way about your husband, come to the family series in two weeks. Or your wife, whatever the case may be. We're all going to grow. Never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And it's not something we can take with us, but it is something we can send on ahead. Let's pray. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and illuminate truth. Your truth that sets us free, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want the camera to just zoom in on this for just a moment. This is a $1 bill. Several things on it. Ironically, one of the things on it is, is the words in God we trust. Did you know that the Bible talks more about money than heaven and hell combined? I think it's because God knows that the enemy will subtly deceive people to make this the pursuit of their life, whether saved or unsaved, knowing Jesus or not knowing him, to the point where they're distracted and never get around to what's important. Now, I have a question for you as you're looking at this. Does this own you? Does money own you? Does money drive you? Because it drives the guy we're about to read about, and it owned him. And we need to answer the question today, because it's an important question. Am I going to let money own me? First point, God knows our hearts and our priority. Mark 10, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Couple thoughts here. Uh, there are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're called the synoptic Gospels sometimes, meaning that comparatively, you can learn more about stories as you read each of them. The story of this guy, we know he's, he's young and rich because you see that when you compile the three uh, Gospels that speak of this. So three of the, of the, of the books of, uh, in the New Testament talk about this story, and um, 
It's the only instance in the Bible, significant, where someone kneels at the feet of Jesus and goes away no, no better than they were when they came. It's the only spot where someone knelt and left not better. Everybody else received, got blessed, got some sort of healing, got some sort of blessing from Jesus. This guy refused to take the blessing that God wanted to give him. He's everything society values today, right? He's young, right? We, we like youth in our culture. As a matter of fact, I think one of the problems with our culture is we, and you see it if you go to other countries, we don't honor age and experience anymore. And so we're destined to repeat some of the same mistakes that people have made because we don't listen to older people. But we love youth, and, and he was young. And not only was he young, he was really rich, so much so that everybody emphasized it in all three of those gospels that spoke about it. And he was a ruler. I don't know exactly what that means. It could have been religious leader. Didn't know Jesus, but you can be religious without knowing Jesus, right? Or he might have been a community leader, but he, was, he, he had influence in the community. Young, rich, powerful, high achiever. And he seems to have everything. Except he must be lacking peace because he comes to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him by sharing five of the Ten Commandments. And the man says, but I've obeyed all these. Now, I want you to notice something here. I, I think when Jesus speaks to him, and you probably know the story, so you know that uh, Jesus is going to tell him to give up his money. Um, but Jesus doesn't question the guy's comment when he says, uh, I've done all these since I was young. Which means it was probably true. And what he's thinking is, I'm already a good guy. Which brings up one of the greatest misnomers in, in our society. People think, this is what people who don't, who don't read the Bible or know the word think. They think that you get to heaven. A lot of people believe in heaven that don't go to church, by the way. They don't usually believe in hell, but they believe in heaven, which is pretty convenient. But that's the way it is. And, and so, but here's what most people think in our society, that you have good works and bad works. And if your good outweighs your, your bad, then you'll go to heaven because you did more good than bad. And they think that's the way to do it. But that's not the case. And you can see that in this story. This guy says, but I'm, I'm being good. But he doesn't have this peace. He knows it's not quite resolved in his heart. The guy who has everything doesn't have the peace that eternal life would bring. And this high achiever is probably a good guy. Now let's talk about that for a moment. God doesn't question him about his good behavior. He's lived a clean life. But he reveals a truth that's much more important for the young man to know. And that's that your behavior is not what will take you to heaven. Now, when, when we're, there are commands in the Bible, they're so important, the law of God. But here's what the law of God does. It reveals that we are sinners and that we're in need of salvation. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's not willing that any should perish, but all inherit eternal life. So there's a perishing and there's an eternal consequence for not following God. But our behavior isn't what determines. The law reveals that we're sinners, reveals that we've all sinned and fallen short, right? Because you run the list of the Ten Commandments, nobody here can get by clean. You just can't. None of us, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you need a Savior. You're not good enough by yourself. The law reveals that. The law also protects us. If we live within the bounds of what God says, I mean, if you commit adultery against your wife, I'm just telling you, or your husband, there's a really good chance that your marriage is going to end. We know that from experience, right? You don't even have to read the Bible to know that. 
You hurt someone that deeply, it's a wound that they can't overcome always. The Lord can help, but they can't always overcome it. And so we, we, we can see that following those things will help us if we live within it, and there's blessing, but still, it doesn't save you. Doing the right thing doesn't save you. This is a guy who's been able to make it happen. And he probably thinks that he can get eternal life the same way he got everything else. Remember, he's a good guy. He's not an evil man. He's got a good heart. He's got integrity. and He's upstanding in the community. I mean, right? Don't we see people in our community who, who have really good hearts and who give to others and who don't know Jesus, but they're good men and we respect them, right? Because if you follow the truth of God, even if you don't accept Jesus, you follow the principles of the word, you'll be blessed in this life. And so this guy's being blessed in this life. He probably thinks he can get eternal life the same way by being a good guy, going after it. Now, how do, how do you get money? Well, uh, some people are gifted to do it, and I'm just assuming this young guy was. He's a go-getter. He works hard. He works long hours. Most likely, I'm, 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 it's, it's conjecture a little bit, but he knows how to make things happen. He's got money. And he thinks, I'll make this happen. I'll invest where I need to invest. I'll buy and and that sort of thing, and he can't do it. And God is about to make it obvious to him that it's not with your means that you can come to me. And here's the real principle in this that I think would be great for us to take home today. We're only saved by grace. It separates the religion or, 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 or what we call a relationship with Jesus Christ from every other religion. Every other religion, you have to earn your way somehow with your karma or, you know, all, all these other, uh, other things with all these. Uh, the only place that you find grace is in Jesus Christ. It's called unmerited favor. That's a definition of grace. You didn't make it happen. You aren't responsible for it. Someone is giving it to you. And we've sinned, we've made mistakes. The sin fell on Jesus Christ. The Bible says he became the ransom for our sins since we've sinned. We're separated from a holy God. God the Father wants to be in fellowship with us. He wants us to live with him for eternity. So he sends his son because he's so altogether holy, he must punish sin because it hurts people. It's not part of his character. It wounds, it destroys, and it separates his his creation from him. So he sent Jesus to be our sin. To be our ransom, the, 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 the weight of all the sin of the world was on Jesus' back on the cross and he was bruised and punished by God the Father. But he was punished on our behalf. He stood in for me. He stood in for you and it fell on him so it wouldn't fall on me and on you. And God the Father turned his back because it hurt him to bruise, to wound his son. But he raised him up on the third day to prove that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to salvation. But you can't merit it. You can't give enough to make it happen. You can't serve enough to get saved. Because it's a free gift, salvation. It's grace. This young man did not understand that. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, free, means you can't do anything to make it happen except surrender to it and call it good and say, I I want it. I want your grace. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why when I was a prodigal and went away from God, and when he called me into the ministry and it became obvious to me, I didn't want to do it because I didn't completely understand grace. And I said to him, 
but I made so many mistakes. And see, here's the deal. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed, but it's true. I knew better. I believed that Jesus was the way and still went away from him because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And then when I finally got hurt, because you, you get beyond the bounds of God's love and truth and, and you do your own thing, eventually you get hurt. And I got hurt. Not only did I get hurt, but I hurt others with my behavior. And I ended up broken and wounded. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week on Easter. But when I got called back and I received Jesus and I said, I, I, you don't have any grandkids, you know, right? He only has kids, no grandkids. Can't serve them off your parents' commitment or Uncle Bob's or Grandpa's or anybody else's. Gotta be me and God. That's, that's it. Can't get in with anybody else's commitment. Has to be my own. But when he called me back, I didn't want, and, and I started to feel this call to preach, I didn't want to do it. And part of it was because I knew I'd blown it. And I actually said to him, um, I'm sure you got people out there who haven't blown it. And um, it seems like it'd be a lot better to me if they'd been really consistent with their lives all the way through and you use them because I knew better and I messed up. But here's the deal, I didn't understand grace completely. And God kept showing me over and over again, what I do is I take people and I forgive them when they don't deserve it. And then I make trophies out of lives just because I'm God and I can do what I want to do and I delight in showing my love in this way. So eventually I surrendered and said, okay, I'm understanding. I'm telling you the truth. I still don't completely understand grace. It is too amazing and neither do you. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. You wouldn't even forgive some people. Right now you could make a list of people that have hurt you and truth be told, Rather not have them completely forgiven. You know, you know what I mean? Just mostly forgiven. And, and aren't we, isn't it good that we're not, we're not God? But if they come humbly and they surrender their hearts, he'll forgive even the worst of sinners I know because he forgave me. Well, the first service didn't get that part. I don't know what that was all about, but hopefully that'll, that'll touch someone's heart and bless them and maybe it was just for you today. Um, he's a good guy but he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand grace and he, and he thinks he can merit it or buy it or make it happen like he made everything else happen. I read a story this week about two guys, true story. In a church like this, they were good buddies and they, they really got into, let's really serve God with all of our hearts and totally commit. So they started meeting in the morning to pray and encourage one another and give one another scriptures and hold each other accountable. And one of them said to the other, Man, I, I, I have this problem with profanity. His buddy knew it already, but I want to stop. So uh, pray with me. He said, okay. And he said, Here's, I've decided that I'm going to find myself $5 every time I cuss during the week. And, and then I'll, 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 for each time I cuss, I'll put you know, that money in the offering next week. So they said, okay. They thought that was good. The next week, uh, the guy comes with a $100 check and drops it in the offering. Didn't do uh, too great. The week after, $120 check. The week after, $150. He's not making it, you know, by paying a fine. And so his friend says, one of the weeks in the morning, he goes, I got a, I got a better idea. Come this week, and uh, there's still going to be a price paid, but it's going to be different. So they got there that week. They met in the aisle, and they were about to give the offering, and his friend tears out a check, and he hands it to him and says, from now on, I'm going to pay the price. 
So that week he did 55 bucks. The week after, 20 bucks. And the third week, he stopped. See, when someone else pays the price, and you realize how amazing it is that they would care and do that for you, you don't even want to do the bad stuff anymore. And when we realize, see, this is, what, this is what grace is. When we realize that Jesus paid the price and we can bring our sin to him, even our mistakes, before we know Jesus, after we know Jesus, and we can know that each time we come before him, he says, I've already, I've already got the blank check. It's been covered. You don't have to pay anymore. Just receive grace. But then here's the deal. Our behavior does change when we get saved. You know why? Because when you realize someone loves you that much, just like the friend who didn't want his buddy to pay the price every week, we start to say, Jesus, you paid the price. I love you so much. You love me so much. I don't want to do this. I trust you when you say it'll bless me if I follow you. I know you'll give me strength to do it. And I thank you for paying the price. And I love you so much for doing it. I'm going to follow you with my whole heart. Isn't grace Incredible. Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. About five years in as senior pastor, a teacher came to me, one of our teachers from the school, and she told me she got saved. I was like, oh, wonderful. But I'm thinking, she's been teaching for us. We thought she was saved, right? And she told me her story. So I felt a little uncomfortable, but I'm smiling and being, you know, it is cool, right? I'm glad it happened. I wish we didn't know him before, but I'm glad that, that it happened, you know? And she's a grade school teacher, and she says, and she tells me her story. She's been a good person all of her life. She, she's never really wanted to do anything bad or wrong, and she said this. I couldn't believe it. I've never heard it from anyone else. She said, I really thought I'd never sinned before. I couldn't think of one thing that I had done that, because uh, I just grew up in a home, and she said, I realized that I've never really applied his grace to my life, and when I opened my heart up, I, some things came to mind, and I prayed a prayer, and she said, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. I think most of our teachers are saved, but the point is, in that story, I'm sure they all are, no matter how good you've been, you're not, it's not good enough. Every one of us need grace. And Ephesians says, you receive it when you believe. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And the rich young ruler was finding that out this day. This next thought comes from another scripture, but it illustrates the truth in this passage. You can't serve two masters. That's what this fellow was finding out. Mark 10, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Isn't that cool? Jesus wasn't condemning. He wasn't mad at this guy. He's not mad at you and I when we sin. I think he looks at us the same way when we make mistakes. Jesus feels genuine love for you and for me. There's still one thing you haven't done. Now this is about money, and it's appropriate to talk about money because the passage is filled with talk about money. But Jesus points out the one thing. Now, I just have a question for you and for me. What is the one thing in your life that might be getting in the way of your relationship with God? What is it? 
What is the one thing that becomes God because it displaces him and pushes him down below to other places in our priority list? Whatever the one thing is, it's appropriate to talk about money, but really, I don't think this is, you know, what he says, what Jesus is about to say, sell everything, is not what he says to every believer. So it's, he's pointing out what the guy's problem is, right? And to me and to you, if we were coming to Jesus, the one thing, the spot he might speak to us about is it might be different. It might be the same, but it might be different. And here's the question, what's the one thing? I think that's a great question for unbelievers who don't know Jesus as their personal savior. What's holding you back? I mean, for some people, it's, well, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep sleeping with my girlfriend. Uh, I, 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 uh, I have to lie in my job to make money. And I, I you know, I, if I go do that church thing, I'm, I'm going to make, I don't know what it is. It may be this pursuit of something else other than money, fame, power. But it's driving you. It's in first place. And it's the one thing. He said to him, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Um, I, don't, I don't know what Jesus was thinking here since this isn't something for everyone. Um, I, I know this. Some people said, well, I, don't, I read some commentators that said, I don't think uh, Jesus would have really made him give all of his money. I don't know. It sounds like Jesus wants him to. But if Jesus means what he says, and I think he does, and he wants him to sell everything and give to the poor, maybe he sees something. He's got something going on that knows better than this young man. Maybe he sees that those gifts that are amazing gifts to make money, to achieve a goal that you set out for, organizational, drive. Maybe he sees some things that if those things are surrendered to Jesus will change the world, and he's gonna use them in another way. Maybe he's gonna have them sell everything to cause him to see that he'll bring it back to him when his heart becomes generous and then he can change the world. Because usually, I mean honestly, you take, you take money away from people who know how to make it and they're gonna get it back someday because they have gifts. And God gifts people some th- this way. You know, they might have a hard time and a hard season and, but usually people that have money, right? It's not wrong to have money. Money's... Money's not evil. The Bible doesn't say money's evil. The Bible says it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. When it's in number one, money's a marvelous servant but a terrible master. So when when you have money, it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. You can build the kingdom with money. I mean, theologically, you you could press me on this, but I, I like to say, here's my philosophy about giving. Give to get to give away again. leverage these things of the world to take this world for Jesus. But this guy couldn't do it. When, When Jesus said, come follow me, the man fell on his face and went away sad for he had many possessions. Only place in the Bible where someone came to the feet of Jesus and didn't leave better because he decided not to do what Jesus was telling him. It's good to have things that money can buy Provided you don't lose the things that money can't buy. If you have money, you can be grateful and and you can use it for God's glory. But if money has you, beware. And money had this guy. 
we can see in this next scripture that it's not wrong to have money. Abraham was rich, David was rich. There's a bunch of rich believers in the Bible, but they were generous people with hearts surrendered to God. They even had nice stuff all around them, but they were given everywhere and doing things for God. It's not wrong to have money. It's wrong for money to have you. Here's the balance in 1 Timothy 6.17, which is for all, something for all of us to think about. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, right? Because most people, uh, I mean, it would have been more appropriate in America if we wrote in money we trust on our, on our coins, right? Because that's pretty much what we do in America. We are driven by the dollar. And, but we can see in the last five years that this next line, money is so unreliable. Can't we see that in the last five years that you can't even account on having it on a consistent basis all through your lives. There's just so many ups and downs. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Can you just notice in that passage that uh, money is the least of God's blessing? He gives us everything we need for our enjoyment, and it's way beyond money. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future that they may experience true life. Jesus looks at this guy with genuine love, the passage says. And um, he's trying to lead this guy to the greatest gift ever, eternal life. The gift that money can't buy. The gift that covers every area of our lives, his grace, and brings blessing to our families and generation upon generation and and brings eternal life. He wasn't condemning this guy. He wasn't mad at him. He wasn't mean to him. He was calling it out, what the real issue was. And he was doing it in love. He points out that you already have a God unless you allow me to be in first place, there's not much I can do for you. And here it is. This is the point I'm making in this point here. No one can serve two masters, Luke 16, 13. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you know the story of how they catch monkeys in foreign lands? This is one of the things they did. You've probably heard this before, but all they have to do is hang a jar with a narrow opening from a tree and put a piece of fruit in it. And the monkeys come along and they reach in the jar and they grab what is in there, the prize. Something that they want really bad and their hand spreads out and they can't pull it through because the opening's too small and they won't let go. And because of their greed and they won't let go, they just stay there and the hunters come and pretty soon it's monkey soup. All they have to do is let go to get freedom in life and they won't. You can't receive the gift God wants to give you if your fist is clenched around money. You can't receive the freedom and the blessing that he wants you to have in life if your fist is around money. I've called this sermon the greatest thing. And, uh, you know, salvation and the lordship of Jesus is, is, is that great thing. But here it is in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37. 
Jesus replied, he said, this is the greatest commandment. Words of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's gotta be first if that's happening. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to say this, but I, because uh, it's just conjecture and, and again, it could be argued. But I, uh, I, th- I think I could make a lot of money if I wanted to. As a matter of fact, that's what I wanted to do early in life. And um, I'm gifted in such a way that I can focus and get, and get something done. And as a matter of fact, I'm laser-like and it can become a problem. I can focus too much on one thing sometimes. Even a project, you know, if it's a good project. But along the way... I decided I wouldn't go after money. And it was, a strug- it was a struggle for me early on when I was a young man, after I made my commitment to Jesus. But I counted the cost. And when I counted the cost, I surrendered. And not long after, he called me into ministry. And the Lord spoke to me and said, because he, he probably knew my, my inclinations and my gifting, I don't want you involved in any other business endeavors. Just this, just my work. Uh, because I could be easily distracted. I, I think, I could be wrong, I think I could make a lot of money. Um, but, that's not what the Lord had for me. Now I think, after saying that, I think some of you are gifted to make a lot of money, and you're supposed to make a lot of money. Doesn't it make sense? Because we use money to, I mean we're taking an offering on, on Sunday, right? To feed the poor of the world. Doesn't it make sense that God would gather resources with his people and send them out to those in need? Doesn't it make sense that when he wants a gymnasium built for kids at a Christian school or he wants the poor fed in Africa, that he would just gift some people to say, you know what, I've been gathering resources, Lord, where do you want those? And bam, when he does, great things can happen. It's not wrong to make money. God can use you if you're gifted in that way. Lead with Jesus. Let him own everything. You're the steward. You're not the owner of whatever you have. Well, this young man wasn't real willing to put Jesus in that first place and he went away sorrowful. Third point, if you put Jesus first, you won't be sorry. I almost said there, you'll never be sorry. But that hasn't been true in my life. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There have been times when God has required something of me and asked of me. I'm kind of like the two-year-old sometimes in my relationship with God who, who does what you tell them to do, but they, they don't really like doing it. You know, you notice that. They go into the you know, room and, and they did it, but they're not happy. I've been like that with Jesus too. I'll do it sometimes and I'm not happy. So there have been times that he's asked me to do something and sacrifice in such a way, including giving, by the way. It's hard for me, just like you at times. I mean, when he spoke to me about what to give to move in here, I was like, oh, but I like that. I don't want to sell it. You know, that, that sort of thing. But I surrendered to the things that the Lord was saying, and I'm not always initially happy. So I, I didn't say you'll, you'll, you'll always be happy because you might not like it at first when he asks you to do something, but if you'll surrender, and a, a cheerful giver is what he loves, right? That's what he wants. When you surrender, you'll be happy in the long run every time. I think you'll be happy in this life. You'll definitely be happy in the life to come because we don't always get it at first. But if he asks for something and we follow, eventually the joy comes where we see the revelation 
and the understanding, oh, now I get it. That was definitely worth it, even though I might have pouted initially. Well, he says this. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, in fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Here's why they were astounded. In the Jewish culture, it's much like the American culture today. It's not this way in every country or every culture at every time. But it was with the Jews when Jesus was speaking, and it's true in America today. They thought having money equated to being really spiritual. They thought you proved you were blessed by having lots of possessions. And Jesus is showing with this whole story, it's not true. That there's, there's things that are way more important than having money and really having the surrendered heart is, is what shows a life that is truly committed and, and, and will be blessed by God. They were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Now, let me just say about that. It's not only impossible for a rich man to be saved, it's impossible for a poor man to be saved. It takes a miracle for any man to be saved. But he's pointing out that money really can get in the way of people coming to God. There are lots of things that can get in the way. The real point here is don't let money get in the way of a real and living faith. Did you know I've been to foreign countries where people lived in grass huts and I hear Christians talk about materialism in that setting and it hardly computes. But did you know you can have nothing and still have a materialistic mindset? If every thought is driven towards a bigger grass hut and if that controls you, how do I get more? It doesn't matter how much you have. So you don't have to be rich to be in trouble with materialism. You just have to have a mindset that keeps that as your main focus. And God is warning us about all that and saying, put me in first place. Surrender your life. Don't let anything get in the way. Let Jesus and his kingdom, here's the word, let Jesus and his kingdom be your greatest passion. If you follow Jesus with your heart, you will not be disappointed. And here's the blessing. Jesus speaks of it in Mark 10. He goes on to say, it says this, Peter began to speak up, but we've given everything to follow you. 29, yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Can I point out the word now there and a hundredfold? I don't think, this, I'm not talking about the materialistic blessing, but did you know when, when you are God's, he owns everything? I mean, this is true for me, it's true for you today. If I was displaced from my house and lost everything in a fire, I wouldn't be that worried because I trust God, but I know you'd probably take care of me. You guys would take me in. And somebody would bless me. Here's the deal. That's true for you in this fellowship too. We love you. We care about you. We're family. And when this says now, it's not just talking about heaven. Another version says in this life. 
The blessing of surrendering to Christ with everything gives you so much more in this life, even beyond the material things, but it's security, it's peace, it's trust in Jesus Christ. You say, I don't want to have to rely on anyone. Well, that's a problem you have that's going to have to be dealt with along the way. God uses people to bless us everywhere, and it's part of his plan. We're all needy people in one way or the other. But he has so much for us in this life. We're not, give, we're not losing when we give him stuff. You're not going to give in an offering next week to the poor of the world and have Jesus say, yeah, I'm not going to be there for you next week. It's not going to happen. He owns everything. He's the steward of everything. And he just allocates his resources when his people have needs. We don't have to worry about stuff when we follow Jesus with our whole heart because we're his. Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is sun and shield. And listen to this, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless, from those who follow him, who know him, who are his. I uh, want to close just talking about my, my dad for a few minutes here. Pastor Ray was a pastor here. That's how you know him for 15 years. You might be interested to know a little update on one of our former pastors. He is now the senior's pastor at his church in Webb City, Missouri. He's having fun. He's fishing a lot. Uh, he's 83. He caught some big bass the other day, and then he told us a story of how he fell from a riverbank into deep, swift water, hit on his bank, lost his glasses and his hat. I told Karen afterwards, did you notice he didn't lose his fishing pole? You know, he clung on to that, but he let other things go, and um, he, he, he's a spry 83. That's all I can say. Um, my dad... You know him as a, as a, he's like me, he's, he's not perfect, he's, he's flawed in ways, he's like us, but I, I just want to tell you as a son, he's a good man, and he's been a great dad. In the early years of his life, he wasn't around for us very much because he wasn't a believer, and he was out on the road making a lot of money, and as it turns out, I learned later, in a, in a kind of dishonest way, a lack of integrity, it took a lack of integrity to make the money the way he was making it. And it was probably part of a cost that he was counting when he came to Jesus. But one day he surrendered his life to Jesus. Now, Pastor Ray made a ton of money when we were young. And then when he came to Jesus, it, it all dried up. And, um, but the deal was I had a dad to play catch with that my dad was around. He always loved me, I knew that. Um, but we saw him get, coming closer and closer to Jesus every day. And eventually, he, he gave up money because he, he said, I can't do that work and be honest. I can't follow Jesus with that lack of integrity, so I'm not going to do it anymore. What, what a life lesson that was for me watching as a kid, right? And um, he, never, he never had a lot of money. He hasn't to this day. But he started to follow Jesus with his whole heart. And, and this story kind of reminded me of my dad's youth because he, ma- he made pretty good money and and in his sense, he gave it up and it, it, didn't, it didn't come back to him. But so much did come to him. Um, the love that we have in our family. Um, the witness that he became for Jesus Christ. Uh, a few years ago, they had their 50th wedding anniversary, my mom and dad. I think it's 55 coming up now. But we saw hundreds of people come from uh, different regions of the United States to honor mom and dad. And they would stand and speak about how they came to the Lord, or they would stand and speak about how dad mentored them into the ministry. And um, 
All I can tell you is he has laid up treasures in heaven. And someday my dad's gonna go. He's 83, I don't know when it'll be. If he fishes at that spot more, it could be sooner than later. But he's not going empty-handed. There are a lot of people who know Jesus because of my dad. And he has been rich with the love of God. And that richness, it's, it's come to me. It's the blessing of what, the decisions he made and how he, did you know if you make money the number one thing in your life, your kids are watching? What do you think the number one thing in their lives is gonna be? If you never serve and you never give, but you just are, you come, that's a good thing, right? You come to church, you're, you're involved in some ways. But, but man, let's show our kids how to lay treasures up in heaven. Let's show our children how to put Jesus as number one in their lives. Because when we do, their lives become dangerous for God. Dangerous to the enemy. Because they're willing to sacrifice and go and give. And it's okay to make money. I hope they do make money. But if they have a kingdom heart, look out. Because God will, will, will gather the resources of this world to feed the poor, to touch people and bring them to Jesus. So, see if we can get a close-up one more time on this. Why don't you just decide right now, this will never own you. You'll be a steward for God's purposes and